Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dark and Stormy Nights. This is Loki. This is Tyr. And we're going to plan out some of the story that they're going to that our characters are going to go through today. Well, or, or, well, next session, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we have our characters entering the large city of Porto del Mar. It's the biggest city on Earth. It swells up to three million people in population when all the ships are into port. Um, there is a lot to know about the city. There are tons of factions, so much stuff to get into. Constant crime, poverty, political intrigue. There are spies and guilds and associations and clubs and cults and all kinds of stuff to get into. So this is the richest environment in the world, and and we're probably going to have to... I'm going to have to roll with the punches with these guys because they can be unruly players and they get into things that I'll never guess. But we're going to give them a series of, like, five hooks to get into uh, for the for the next game so they can <coughs> kind of choose from them. And these hooks are mildly tailored to their characters, but I've got to keep in mind that they may ask you to go see or find the Assassin's Guild or the Spies or any number of other things. But these are the hooks that we're going to come in with. So are we ready? Well, yeah, but let's let's talk a little bit about the world first so we know sure. what we're working with. Um, you're talking about some of these organizations and guilds and, and gangs and whatever. So um, we did very minimal amounts of world building initially with previous episodes. Um, but we also... Um, Within this this city that we you know have talked about, you said that there is going to be a thief and assassin guild. Yes. And then, uh, like a mafia, essentially, right? That's kind of intertwined with with many aspects of the city. Yes. Uh, yeah. So there's the Garza uh, Shipping Company. They are kind of like the East India Trading Company of our world. Uh, they are responsible for most, if not all, major shipping in and out of this continent um and uh they're kind of they're on the 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 count senate council whatever you want to call them parliament so they're within the government too they're kind of everywhere. they've infiltrated everything but they are also mobsters they are union breakers they are uh thieves and killers and human traffickers and drug dealers and contraband dealers and stuff like that and it's just this is why garza is one of the richest men in the world okay so is, he's just he's unscrupulous and he'll do whatever it takes to make it. Okay, and then we have the Ministry of Secrets, which is the Ministry of Secrets is like the CIA of this kingdom. And while they work for Port of Elmar, while they are a force for the kingdom, they don't necessarily listen to the king or Parliament itself. They kind of do what they want in the name of Port of Elmar. So, okay. uh, they're a clandestine organization who feels they don't have to keep the country abreast of what they're doing. So they okay. have a spy network. They regularly pay off thieves and assassins to do things and make moves that they probably shouldn't be making. Uh, and they, they, they infiltrate other governments and, uh, and kingdoms and stuff. And so, okay. yeah, this is the... CIA of this world. And then we have a network of scribes. So the scribes are for the closest thing our world has is, or what we believe to be the Illuminati, right? Now, they are 
actual scribes. They are an actual guild of scribes, so they infiltrate every government, but as scribes, so they, they, they keep notes and information. But so it's they, not like media. It's like... It's not like bookkeepers or record keepers. They are bookkeepers and record keepers and uh, court recorders and all of that stuff. But when they file their paperwork, they also keep a copy of everything they've discovered. Uh, and and they have ulterior motives. And they have ulterior motives of guiding the world in their vision. So they're trying to move the world in a direction that they feel is the right direction. Okay. Uh, but they are almost never the throne or the power they are the people behind the throne behind the power you know they are the second third fourth man down who may now do they have power by way of like whispering in someone's ear sure yeah or trading information to the right people and stuff like that so okay yeah they are the organization so they're not powerless no no they're very powerful and but you know and say they in underhanded ways they find out a powerful person might be or, or somebody necessary to keep the order of the world might be in danger they may send people to help that person or what have you you know okay. or they may try to thwart efforts that would be bad what they perceive as bad for the world right and like we also probably have to keep in mind that the people who control the information control how things are viewed right so for them to manipulate somebody or some group by withholding parts of information or twisting other parts of information they can further their agenda yes without anybody even realizing that they're doing so correct yeah they can do all kinds i mean they they could create a scandal out of nothing Mm -hmm. you know to make a situation go the way they want or put information in the right hands they're they're really tricky like that but they always stay understated Right, like nobody knows that it's the scribe who did it, you know, because they made it look like somebody else did it. Or so they could be quite nefarious, and and probably nobody would notice. Right. Okay. So as far as anybody else knows, they're just the guy who writes things down in court. Right. So interesting. That could be a fun one to work with. Sure. Um, okay. So you have your mage tower. So the the mages generally keep to themselves. In fact, there's a place they call Mage Town. Uh, as generic as that may sound, the mages may not call it so much Mage Town, but the people in this city call it Mage Town. Mage Town's interesting because, yes, you can walk in and out of it, but most people can't figure out how, and that's because of the glamours and the things that the mages have put on it. It's not like Harry Potter or whatever, where it's a different world and you have to walk through a wall to get there. It is here in the city, and people could get there. It's just that they have glamoured the, the, the alleyways and stuff to seem like they're twisting and turning when they're not. Or there's something that makes you feel nauseous when you get too close or confusion or whatever. Okay. Uh, but but this is where all mages live? It, it, while they're attending the tower. Now, mages are scattered through this, this world, but they're a very small minority. Less than 1% of the population in the world is capable of magic. Okay. Uh, and it's mostly to do with intelligence. Uh, so as reason catches on maybe more will will gain the ability to manipulate magic or what have you but but right now less than one percent of the population of the world is capable of magic and a good chunk of those people live here in mage town and it's because there are three major towers on this continent and uh but this is one of the most aggressive towers in the biggest city so but they have only a uh um what do you want to call it? There's only like 3,000 students. 
It's okay. not even that, you know, positive. So they definitely don't have numbers on their side. But all total in this city, there may be upwards of 10,000 mages. That doesn't mean any of them have any serious power, you know. And you're saying that mages are pretty heavily policed? Not only are they heavily policed by an organization called the Magistrum, which are mages who have graduated school and gone into the policing of other mages. And the reason for this, we have something called the Code of Balest, which is mage law. And mage law was created because one time in history, um, mages were somewhat abusive with their power and highbrow and what have you. And uh, the humans rose up and burned down the towers and came at them with pitchforks and torches and siege machines and full armies marched on some of the towers and literally burned them to ground. So there used to be nine towers in this continent. Now there's three. And two of those towers were built since that insurrection. So this is the oldest tower on probably the planet. Okay. And it was here first before the city was even built. So uh, some of these defenses are necessary to keep the mages alive. And the people still resent them. Okay, so before we go into the Riss tattoo artist, do you want to explain Riss a little bit more in detail? So Riss is corruption itself. So the way Riss work in our universe is before time in space there was this immortal chaos a writhing mass of fluid like intelligence if for lack of a better word they're essentially chaos and because of chaos chaos is infinite potential but when chaos realized reality when it, it turned potential into reality or whatever the multiverse was born and then immediately risks that fluid that chaos saw that reality as a mistake and tried to destroy it so each universe that came into existence the risks have to infect invade and destroy uh, and they failed in this world but much of it still got through in fact one of our gods is constructed of risks and it's only because of the way this world worked because an ancient goddess known as Mora which is the earth goddess combined with Savas was able to kind of stop him and turn him against his own people, shutting the doorway that they came through. So the risk corruption is still ever seeking to destroy this world from the inside, what, what corruption there is. And so it infects creatures and people and stuff, and a subtle infection drives something mad. It makes it violent and what have you. Um, a greater infection can make some something or someone it with a high enough uh, will or constitution into a monster like a vampire or a werewolf. Uh, or it, if you fail to, to maintain control, it'll turn you into an outright horror. Uh, tentacles and spikes and your ribcage being used as a defense mechanism. I mean, it's just disgusting. And then anything else that you come in contact with, you may be combined with. Like, it may actually meld you with several other humans. So you might be a multi-headed monster. It is just utter corruption. Okay. Um, and so then the wrist tattoo artists... They use a small controlled amount of wrists to create an image that is usable like a magic spell. For instance, I may get a scorpion tattooed on my wrist, and I can will that scorpion to sting somebody and poison them or a snake to bite people, what have you, you know, or in some cases a sword and shield that I can pull out and use, even mm -hmm. though they're tattoos, and then put them back in my skin. So, 
it's a it's a feature of our world it's wrist magic but it's completely outlawed and the mages try to stop it all the time now if you were to cover your body in wrist tattoos you would eventually go mad or enough, become corrupted yeah enough wrist tattoos start to talk to you and start to overtake you in fact once you get past a certain point you become addicted to it and they want to keep yeah do more do more do more mm -hmm. until you are so infected the wrists have practically taken over okay um okay and then you have an older healer lady that's within the village so there's a few thur here now generally um well you have thur and landvetter landvetter are small local spirits that are kind of local gods of the land and thur are more entities of like like titans right it is the titan of this mountain the titan of this valley or, or river or ocean or whatever well we have a great titan that exists at the bottom of the bay which is a gigantic snake and it's really an animalistic protector of this land but from that we have these land better there there's an old healer lady who nobody really pays much attention to but she's been here as long as anybody can remember and what most people don't know she's a spirit of the land here and uh she'll probably never go anywhere but she, she does attempt to manipulate things from time to time but she can never leave the ward she is in so and that's something to remember about this city is it's broken up into i think we said 11 or 13 wards i have to look at the maps but uh it's broken up in separate wards and this keeps the people separated it also controls traffic and and uh, uh crime so Okay. So, I mean, that gives us a little bit more to work with as far as, like, you know, what's around them and, and the world and everything. So, step one, as you said, was they need to get into the city. Yes. Right now, they're chasing after. Uh, so, the setup that we're at right now to start the story is that they were initially chasing after a warlock uh, that one of the team was after. Yes? So, uh, yeah. So, Fargrim is a wrist hunter. What he does is he, he hunts down wrists, and then he binds it into steel, and that's the only way to deal with wrists. Is this the dwarf? Yeah. Okay. It's the only way to deal. You guys haven't met him yet because he was unable to show up for the, the last session. But um, but the only way to make wrists to where it can't harm people or this planet is to bind it into steel. And so that's what he does. He hunts down wrists or wrist things kills them, pulls the wrists out of them. Uh, he has a magic container that is, it's a its a stein that can suck the wrists out of things when they're damaged enough. Can he save creatures that way? Sometimes, yes. But, okay. but, but it can't be a bad infection. If you're corrupt enough to have been mutated, probably not. Okay. But, so there uh, is the potential that one of the team could get infected with a minor infection and he'd be able and to if save he them? if acted quick enough, he might be able to save them. Okay. Um, okay, so initially the, the dwarf was chasing this villain with the team. He didn't know it was the warlock, but then he knew he was he was hunting a major wrist presence. Okay. And uh, and then they discovered this warlock who had who was manipulating wrists as part of his magic. Okay. And in a quest for power? Right. And uh, in the process they were being overwhelmed by an enemy insurgent force. The warlock decided to jump through a portal to get away from them. And the and team followed? They followed. And they ended up here in Porta del Mar, and they waited a little too long and didn't catch where he went. So all they know is he's somewhere here near the city. Okay, so step one is that they need to get into the city to continue pursuing the warlock. Yes. 
The warlock has now realized he's being chased, jumped through a portal, ran into the city, and then hid. Right. Um, okay, so the storyline on our side is going to be that the warlock has fled to the sewer to hide from the team. Right. They don't know it, but yeah, he escaped into the sewers before they could find him. And in doing so, he broke his vials right. of, or his flask. Right. Of, At the very least, he lost some of his wrists. Right. We kind of feel like if if he's been working with it, he would know enough to ditch it once it broke yeah, open. Yeah, you can't touch that shit. He needs, a, he needs magic to bind this stuff. So if he tried to touch it now, it would infect him. And mm-hmm. he, then he'd be ineffective. So what he essentially did was released wrists into the sewer system. Yep. Which means anything down there could be infected and mutated. Become a monster. Yep. Okay. So that leads us where to where we're at in the story. This is basically your opening scene. They're yes. chasing a warlock into this city and whoops, you know, he broke open his his wrist right. into the Um so he's probably gonna get the hell out of the sewer now <laughs> um before he ends up infected. And um, just, you know, we're not going to tell anybody about that little mishap. He's going to probably look for someplace safe or someplace he can infiltrate, you know, to hide, you know, fortify blend himself, hide, blending, right? Okay. So that leads us up to our hooks. Yes. So, and then the way you plotted it out was that there's a few hooks that will appeal to each of the characters that they can either grab onto or, you know, pass on for potentially for later is that how it works sure well we're aware well first off nothing here has to be time sensitive when you're writing a a, a story (coughs) hooks for dungeons and dragons you have to be aware that your character is going to go any which direction and you can't necessarily control where that is but you can try your best to when you include them into the story they're going to probably want to go someplace that appeals to them right so the first thing we're going to do is try to appeal to each of the characters. And then, of course, there's the background of the city, which is amazingly diverse and dense. And there's so much to do. It's, it's going to be a distraction, and that'll be the hard part. Uh, but luckily, these guys are pretty self-involved. So, Okay. So hook one, which is going to be like a potential direction they can go, is a demon that doesn't belong, which is going to appear to be a serial killer at first. So at first, I think they're going to meet somebody who uh, appeals to them. Maybe, you know, they're going to be, like, endeared to quickly, right? Maybe it's a bartender or a book storekeeper or something that they end up becoming friendly with, and then rather quickly that person dies. And, uh, And then there's the mystery of how did this happen? And it's not just them. The papers will read things like people are going missing or dying or, or getting killed, you know. In the News of a death. serial killer, some right. sort of connection between them. Right. The thing is that demons need to maintain, and illegal demons, ones who have escaped hell, need to maintain an energy level to stay here. So they need to take life essence to fuel that. Does it leave some kind of mark or burn or something that would connect them? Maybe. That's not a bad idea is that we give it some kind of mark. So maybe the demon... You know, yeah, it ends up burning some kind of symbol into it or something like that when they kill something. Maybe something they can't help. Right. Okay, and so that would appeal to the human cleric character, right? Because his job is to hunt send demons, demons and return them back to hell when uh, when they don't belong here. Okay. Now this hell, it, uh, what do we call this one? Oh, Pyre. So he's sending them back to a hell known as Pyre. 
Hook 2 was um, a job that goes against Garza, which right. was the, the big mafia network or right. whatever. So Augustine doesn't know that Garza is untouchable. Right. And But there's a, a high payout on this job. Very high, yeah. And somebody wants something Garza has, and they know that they couldn't possibly do it themselves because if they get caught, <laughs> they're dead. So why not set up some rube that doesn't know to go after it? Right. Okay. And then at the end of that, the, the, we, you know, maybe have some kind of clue that Garza is also involved in human trafficking. Yeah. I mean, Garza is um, involved in everything evil in this town. So there's so much to learn. I mean, you, you got a problem with the drug problem and stuff like that. It's Garza behind it. You know, mm-hmm. you got a problem with the human trafficking. Garza. You know, union breaking Garza. You know, I mean, he he murders and assassinates people because it benefits his business. Okay. Um. Okay. Hook three. Dusk elf bounty hunter spotted in the city. So we all know that Blythe is on the run because she doesn't want to take the uh, shadow silk ritual, which is the ritual where this giant spider bites her. And if she survives the hallucinogenic poison trip that so many die from, um, she'll be a high priestess, which is a great honor in her order. And it's like a a princess, right? So if the queen dies, there's a succession of princesses or whatever, you you know, lack of a better term. They're all high priestesses. But chances are she'll die. Chances are she'll die, like her sister did. But if she doesn't, she could be a queen someday. Right. But she would rather be alive. So, right, but, right. But Hard to the, play that loot when you're dead. Right, but it's the male's jobs in that culture to do whatever the queen says. They are all subservient to the queen. They're hunters and warriors and what have you, and they're out to bring her back. Okay. So, uh, And so this is going to be a very obvious hook because basically they'll grab her yeah. if she crosses paths with them. Yeah. Now, the reason, of course, we wanted to say that the reason, of course, that they've come here is that they've go, gone to all major cities looking for her. They've spread out across the, the planet looking for her in the most obvious places they can think of. And up till now, have been unsuccessful because she's been out in the wilds and stuff like that. But this is her first time in a big city, which is lucky for them. But with a city of three million people, it might be a lot of near misses right. before they get to her. So... Okay. Um, hook number four, the monsters in the sewer. So, yeah, at first we might have a few clues, like some mangled things washing out of the drain, the drains or what have you. Plus we have, there's like a lot. Like an outlet or something. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of support here in this town for to, to keep the sewers clear because it's the only major city with real sanitation. I mean, Leiden has sanitation too, but it's not as complex as the sanitation here in Fort Delmar, uh, and still the city is filthy. Even Something with, could even get backed up, you know, well, a monster a, so in there, like, dies. That's where I'm, I'm getting at, is that you have people who work down there in the sewers and clean them out and stuff like that. Uh, and homeless, it's, the sewers are so big that there's a homeless population that actually lives down there. So we can have any number of things going on, like the, one of these sanitation workers you know, has the police helping them fish out bodies and stuff that are down there. We mentioned the possibility of a homeless person ranting to a constable about a monster um, yeah. in the sewer coming after them right. or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, so there could be like breadcrumbs. So yeah, even if the constables blow off the, the the person, at first, if the if the if the party doesn't do something about it at first, then maybe the next thing is the sanitation worker, who is like, no, no, these guys are right. There's mm-hmm. something down there, and I ain't going back. Maybe we have a, a, a general strike. strike that nobody will go down there. So I mean, being a you know. In the environment, it is. There could even be alligators, too. But they, they do pretty good mending the, the grates to keep things like that out. You know, octopi, octopi still get in once in a while. But... Okay. Because they can slither between the holes in the grates and stuff like that. But. And then our fifth hook is going to be Madge's being bullied by humans. So, yeah, as soon as they walk into the city, I think we have mages being... like Because a lot of these are children, that's what... We're not talking about adult mages, right? We're talking about 13, 14, 15-year-old, you know, first, second, third, fourth-year students who are learning magic, and they've probably got a few spells up their sleeve, but they're not so powerful that they can, like, blast you to bits or anything like that, right? They can probably play some minor pranks. But because the code of blessed, it's illegal for them to do much more than defend themselves, you know? Uh, There are, are ways to get away without hurting the humans, because the code of the whole idea of the code of blessed is to keep the humans from uprising against the mages again, you know, and trying to wipe them out. So it kind of ties the hands of these kids, you know, uh, when human kids are so awful. I mean, they're all humans, but but non-magic kids are so awful to them. They're bullying them and what have you. And it's like, what do they do? You know, the code of blessed says they can't do anything. They could get kicked out of school if they do something right. you know, too extreme. But I think eventually it would come to a critical mass and they'd do something anyways. Right. So instances of bullying uh, maybe popping up more than once. And then maybe eventually they start using magic. Yeah, that's Out in the open against the humans. Um, And then maybe eventually there even, you know, comes up a a point where someone gets killed. Right. So, yeah, I think we're going to have that. and And we will keep amping this up until something is done. So, you know, uh... So the story will keep coming back until somebody is like, wait, we better look into this. Yeah, until we do something about it. Okay. So. And I think that's good, right? I mean, now we have, I'm going to still introduce them to all these organizations and all of these parties who play into it, the assassins and the thieves and the urchins and everything, because even the kids in the city are being paid by somebody to do something. Like all the homeless children are, are actually paid off to trade information and stuff like that so like there's all these things and and we keep track of contacts and allies in this game so and those contacts and allies can offer you um perks and benefits of being friends with them or treating them well so i think that's uh that's all going to come up that's all going to be there so if they take a, a side turn they take a side turn uh but hopefully they take the hooks Cool. All right. Do we have anything else? No. I mean, I think that gives a, a good place to get started. So fingers crossed that this all comes together in the next game session. We'll see how this works. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.